First Thessalonians chapter 5, once again, thank you for coming to church on Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you so very, very much. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. The Apostle Paul is talking to Christians at a place called Thessalonica. And this is what he says to them. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Is anybody qualified and willing to admit it this morning? <laughs> Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. And be patient with everyone. That's the phrase I don't like. I want to be patient with those who I like. He says, be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always tries to do good to each other and to all people. Verse 16, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Verse 18, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. We've entered the holiday season of 2018. Over the next 30 days, life will get busy with parties, shopping, eating. How many had fried turkey this Thanksgiving? If you had fried turkey, raise your hand. If you had any other type of turkey, raise your hand. If you don't like turkey, raise your hand. If you're married to a turkey, raise your hand. Several hands went up there. Over the next 30 days, life will get busy with parties, shopping, eating, friends and family. I just love the holidays. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. I enjoy everything about Thanksgiving and Christmas season. I love the decorations. I love the colors. I love the music. We've already started playing Christmas music in our home. How many have already started praying John, playing Johnny Mathis and Michael Blue Christmas albums? The festive atmosphere. I love the food, the gift giving, the shopping. I can even tolerate the long lines and traffic during December. I just love this type of the year. I've made up my mind several years ago, I refuse to be a Scrooge. Whether in the store, in my car, or at home with the grandkids touching and rearranging everything, I refuse to be a Scrooge. I simply retreat to a corner and sit quietly as the ear-piercing screams reach decimal levels that mirror a jet engine. And I sit over there reminding myself, I refuse to be a Scrooge. I refuse to be a Scrooge. I refuse to be a Scrooge. Unfortunately, many family members and friends, which I've enjoyed the holidays with, 
in the past are gone. Either they have died or they've moved on to other places and adventures. But I cherish and hold the memories of our holidays close to my heart. Many of us struggle at this time of the year because things have changed. Family and friends are no longer here. We enter the holidays with a sense of sadness because someone is missing or the wonderful days we remember with family that are no longer here cannot be repeated. And I want you to know that sadness is legitimate and is part of the grieving process. But understand this, though things may have changed for your holiday festivities. And some of the people you love are not around your holiday table. It is still God's desire for you to celebrate the holidays. It is God's desire for you to celebrate the holidays. It might not be the same. And the gang around you may have changed. But the season's purpose still remains the same. And when we enter this time of the year and our thoughts drift toward those who are no longer with us, we must choose to become intentional on being thankful for our past and hopeful for our future. Did you hear me? I hear it all the time. Well, I'm just dreading the holidays. Mama died. Daddy's not here. Sister Passed away. So and so moved. It's just not the same. No, it's not the same. And it won't ever be the same. So if we're not careful, we will enter into this season with a spirit and a sense of sadness. And we must choose, intentionally choose, to become intentional. And we must choose to be intentional on staying focused on what we have left and not what is lost. Did you hear me? We must intentionally choose to stay focused during this holiday season on what we have left instead of what we've lost. If not, Satan will come and steal your joy during this holiday season. And the truth is, number one, the Lord doesn't want your joy stolen during the holiday season. And the people who are no longer with you want your joy stolen either if they were here. God's desire is for us to have a hopeful future. Turn to, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Notice what it says. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Now notice this. To give you a future and a hope. God's desire for our hopeful future does not stop because someone, for whatever reason, is not present during the holiday. God's desire for our hopeful future does not stop just because someone, for whatever reason, is not present during the holidays. Every holiday, every holiday, every holiday gathering is an opportunity to make a new memory and celebrate God's faithfulness. Focus on what's left and not what's lost. And when I 
was praying over this message on Wednesday and Thursday of this week, I had no idea that I'd be standing here today knowing my dad had just gone to heaven. So I'm talking to me. I must focus now on what I have left and not what I've lost. I must focus on my memories of great things and God's faithfulness. Thanksgiving and Christmas will never again be the same at my house. But that's okay. God's still good. His faithfulness remains forever. And my father lived a good life. And we have so much to look forward to. We will see him again. And when you, like me, have will enter this holiday with loved ones that are not with you, that's where you focus. You don't allow Satan to come and steal your joy. And steal your spirit of peace. The season remains the same. Jesus remains the same. It's just a matter of where we put our focus. And we must intentionally focus. So this Thanksgiving, although it just passed, let's just do a little history of why we have Thanksgiving. The pilgrims uh, left Plymouth, England on September the 6th, 1620. And their destination was the New World. Although filled with uncertainty and peril, (coughs) it offered both civil and religious liberty. For over two months, 102 passengers braved the harsh elements of a vast storm-tossed sea. Finally, with firm purpose and a reliance, and they wrote this, on divine providence, on the hand of God, the cry of land was heard. Arriving in Massachusetts in late November, the pilgrims sought a suitable landing place. And on December the 11th, they arrived at Plymouth Rock. After a prayer service, the pilgrims began building hasty shelters. However, they were unprepared for starvation and the sickness of a harsh New England winter, and nearly half of them had died of the 102. Half of them had died by spring. Yet, persevering in prayer and assisted by helpful Indians, they reaped a bountiful harvest during the summer. The grateful pilgrims then declared a three-day feast starting on December the 13th, 1621, to thank God and to celebrate with their Indian friends, the Atlanta Braves (laughs) and the Cleveland Indians and and the Washington Redskins. In 1789, following a proclamation issued by President George Washington, America celebrated the first day of Thanksgiving to God under its new constitution. Much credit for the adoption of an annual National Thanksgiving Day is attributed to Mrs. Sarah Joseph Hale, the editor of Gotti's Ladies Book, because for 30 years she promoted the idea of a National Thanksgiving Day, contacting president after president until President Abraham Lincoln 
responded in 1863 by setting aside the last Thursday of November as a national day of thanksgiving. Over the next 75 years, presidents followed Lincoln's precedent, annually declaring a national thanksgiving day. Then finally, in 1941, Congress permanently established the fourth Thursday of each November as a national holiday. And that's the reason why the fourth Thursday of each November we celebrate as a national holiday, Thanksgiving. But here's what I want you to understand. For the Christian, being thankful should be more than a weekend emphasis. It is a way of life. How many of us are Christians here this morning? We shouldn't just celebrate it once a year. It's a way of life. Why? Number one, when we exhibit thankfulness, we are walking in God's will for our life. When you and I exhibit thankfulness, we're walking in God's will for our life. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Notice what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, says. He says, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will. This is God's will. What's God's will? To be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Over the years in ministry, the question I've been asked more than any other question is simply this. Pastor, what do you think God's will for my life is? What do you think God wants me to do? I've been asked that multitudes and multitudes of times, not only by young people who are entering the workforce or graduating high school and are now starting to launch out on their own with their careers, but also by people who are now finished working and are in their retirement years, their golden years. I've been asked that by couples who are starting a family. I've been asked that by singles. I've been asked that by people who were married. I've been asked that by males and females. People want to know, what is God's will for my life? It's, it seems like there is something innate on the inside of us that we know some higher power, God, has a destiny for us. We know that, we know that we're created for something. You say, how do you know? Because we all just have it on the inside. And the question I've been asked, Pastor, what do you think God's will for my life is? What is God's will? And I want you to know this. God has a specific plan for each of your lives. He reveals that unique plan as we seek Him and walk in obedience. Go back to Jeremiah 29, 11. Look what he says. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans. Everybody say plans. So God has a plan. I know the plans I have for you. So God has a plan for you. God said He has a plan for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Turn over to this one. I love this one. Go to Psalm 37, verse 23. Go to Psalm 37, 23. Notice what it says. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. I love this next sentence. He delights in every detail of our lives. The Lord directs the steps. 
you're not an accident and you're not doing anything by accident. He directs the steps of the godly. Nothing you do is insignificant because He delights in every detail of our life. Here's another one, Proverbs 16, 9. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Notice what it says. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. <laughs> How many times have you started one way, but all of a sudden things out of the clear blue that you had no control over turned you in a totally different direction? Have you ever thought God was working to get you back on the right path? We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And here's one that I love. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Listen, saint, if you're a child of God, you should expect God to lead you. You're not just a random happening. Your steps are ordered of the Lord. He has a plan for you. He delights in every detail of your life. He wants to lead you and direct you and guide you. God has a specific plan for our life. But not only does He have a specific plan for your life, He wants you to do things. He wants Richard to go in a direction He didn't want me to go. He wants Richard to pursue a career He didn't call me to pursue. He's called John to pursue a direction He hasn't called me to pursue. He's called Izzy to pursue a direction He hasn't called. God has a specific plan for each one of our lives. And the only way we'll know that is to walk in obedience and seek Him. But not only does He have a specific plan for each of our lives, which is different for all of us, He has a general plan for every one of us. And it's the same for every one of us. God has a plan for Lana that He doesn't have a plan, that same plan for me. He has a plan for Jenna that is not the same plan for me. But then God has a general plan that's the same for me, Lana, Jenna, Wayne, Probably not Wayne. Gary. God has a general plan for everybody. Wayne's always an exception. He's always an exception. Notice what he says back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. I often hear comments like this. I just don't know what God wants me to do. I just don't know what God wants me to do. I hear this all the time. Doors just don't seem to open for me, Pastor. Doors just don't seem to open. I don't know what's wrong. Doors just don't seem... I hear y'all talking about doors opening, doors open, knocking, it shall be open. Doors just don't seem to open for me. I've heard this quite often. I can't figure out my next step. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. I can't figure out, Pastor, what I'm supposed to do. I hear this one all the time. I don't have any direction for my life. I'm, I just don't have any direction for my life. Here's one I hear often. Pastor, things just not working out for us. Things are just not working out for us. Things are not working out. I don't, we don't know what to do. We don't know which direction to go. We don't know what to do next. Things are not happening. Doors are not opening. Things are not working out for us. And we don't know what God's plan is. Well, listen. Listen to me. If you find yourself in a place in which you don't know the next steps for your life. Evaluate yourself and make sure you haven't lost your spirit of thankfulness 
for right now. Let me repeat that. If you find yourself in a place in which you don't know the next steps, you're at a loss about what to do next, what direction to take, evaluate yourself. Just evaluate yourself. And make sure you haven't lost your spirit of thankfulness for where you are right now. Because when I can't figure out next for my specific plan, I'll always fall back to the general plan and make sure that I'm walking in obedience to the general plan. And what is the general plan? Be thankful in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I guarantee you, if you cannot figure out next steps, you have ceased being thankful somewhere right now. You've gotten out of the general plan, so it's hard to see the specific plan. The Apostle Paul doesn't say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to be thankful for every circumstance. He says to be thankful in every circumstance. I'm not thankful. I'm not thankful that my dad died last night. I'm not thankful for that. But I'm thankful I had him for 80 years. Thankful that he was faithful to my mom for 62 years. I thank you. I'm thankful that he taught me how to work and he taught me faithfulness and he taught me money management principles. I, I've got so much to be. I'm not thankful for what one event that happened, but I've got so much to be thankful in in the midst of that one event. He doesn't say be thankful for everything. He said in everything. Be thankful. And sometimes you got to work to be thankful for it. you got to work to because the, the grief or the pain or the disappointment or the heartbreak of the moment will try to steal that spirit of thankfulness. And murmuring and complaining and blaming will try to come upon you. But once you walk into that, you've walked away from the will of God for your life. So number one, when we exhibit thankfulness, we are walking in God's will for our life. I'm thankful today. I am thankful today. Number two, being thankful is evidence of a Holy Spirit-filled and empowered life. Can I tell some of you Pentecostals something? I'm a Pentecostal. Don't talk to me about speaking in tongues if you're murmuring and complaining about everything. Well, I speak in tongues. Well, I don't care if you speak in tongues. You speak in tongues and can't understand it. I can understand your murmuring, complaining, and criticism in English, and it's nullifying all your tongues. I'm going to interpret your next tongue. It's going to be, shut up! (laughs) Being thankful, being thankful is evidence of a Holy Spirit-filled and empowered life. It's not only evidence that I'm walking in the will of God. This is why it's not just a weekend emphasis. It's a continual thing for us. Amen. Being thankful is walking in the will of God. And every day that I'm thankful, I'm assuring that I'm in God's will. And if I'm in His will, then He'll make known to me the specific plan He has for me. But not only that, it's an evidence. 
being thankful is evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God. You say, where's that? Here it is. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17. Ephesians 5 17. Notice what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. What His will is for your life. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now, I'm not just singing any song, not gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. That's not the song he's talking about. And then notice verse 20. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I've discovered. When I get in the presence of the Lord and keep His presence real in my life, I automatically am thankful. And when I'm not thankful, when I'm murmuring and complaining, my spiritual vessel has leaked. It has leaked. Thanksgiving is a manifestation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So don't talk to me about speaking in tongues is when you stop speaking in tongues, you're criticizing somebody. Because the evidence is not legitimate. Thanksgiving is a manifestation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. A person who is filled with the Spirit is continually giving thanks instead of murmuring and complaining. Now shout. Look at Matthew 12, 34. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. The King, New King James says it this way, Brood of vipers, how can you be an evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's he saying? He says our mouth reveals what is stored in our heart. Your mouth will reveal what is stored in your heart. I can locate you within five minutes of talking to you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in your heart's going to come out your mouth. Our mouth reveals what is stored in our hearts. If my, wor- if my words are complaining and finding fault, instead of thanksgiving, it reveals more about me than about my situation. Do you hear me? If my words are complaining and finding fault instead of being thankful, it reveals more about what's in my heart than about my situation. So being thankful is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When we exhibit, number one, thank, when we exhibit thankfulness, we are walking in God's will for our life. Number two, being thankful is evidence of the Holy Spirit and empowered life. Number three, thankfulness is a trigger for deliverance. 
You're never going to get free if all you talk about is your problem. You're never going to get free. You're never going to get delivered from that bad relationship. You're never going to get out of debt. You're never going to get free from that addiction. You're never going to get free from that mental oppression. You're never going to get free if all you talk about is how bad your problem is. Thankfulness is the trigger for your deliverance. You say, where's that, Pastor? Turn over to Jonah. Let's go to the book of Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah, don't you? Jonah was a prophet of God. And God told him to go to Nineveh. They told, Jonah told the prophet, go to Nineveh and preach to those people at Nineveh. And I want them to repent. Or they're going to die and go to hell. Jonah says, I'm not going. Why aren't you going? Because I want them to die and go to hell. I hate Ninevites. That's literally what he was saying. It's kind of like you see those signs on trees going down the interstate. Turn or burn. It's like those people really, you know you're going down the interstate, you can't turn around. So there's no option to turn. They really want you to burn. All right? He says, I'm not going to Nineveh. In fact, he gets on a boat to go the opposite direction than Nineveh. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. You know the story. Let me do just a brief history. Jonah gets on this boat. He says, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going to preach. I don't want them to get saved. If I go preach, they'll repent. And I know you're a merciful God and you'll save them. They're terrible people. I don't want them to save. I want them to burn in hell. This is the, now remember, this is the prophet of God. All right. So he gets on a boat and he heads the opposite direction than Nineveh. The storm comes up and the boys on the boat say, something's up. God's against us here. And they start unloading cargo. And then that doesn't cease. And they all repent. And that doesn't cease the storm. And then they said, somebody on this boat has made God mad. And finally, Jonah says, it's me. And boy, he went over in a heartbeat. <clears throat> there comes a time when you stop preferring your brother. You just let them take the, take it. They threw him over and we pick it up in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. The Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord had arranged. The Lord had arranged. Man has plans, but God orders his steps. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now people say, well, you don't believe that, do you? Well, it says it. I mean, it says that. Some of y'all been inside the whale's belly a lot longer than that. Jonah chapter 2, keep reading, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Here's a man in total disobedience. Here's a man suffering because of the disobedience. And yet God still loved him enough to answer him. Out of the belly of hell I cried and you heard my voice. Where can you run from his presence? You can't. He's always there. I don't care how far you go, how bad you get. God's still there for you. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Verse 4, then I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
Verse 5, the waters surrounded me, I, I like this, even to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I'm going to tell you, you're tangled up when weeds are wrapped around your head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you and to your holy temple. Verse 8, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Verse 9, verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Notice when Jonah got delivered after he had sacrificed thanksgiving. When he had sacrificed, it wasn't easy for him to do it. It was a sacrifice. But when he was thankful, it triggered deliverance. It triggered deliverance. Some of us spend all of our time murmuring and complaining about our plight. And if we'll just stop and say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness over the years. Thank you for being loyal to me and faithful and kind and merciful to me. It will trigger deliverance in your situation. And the Bible tells us that the whole nation, the whole area got saved. Saved. You say that really happened? Well, let me ask you something. Just be logical. If you're a bunch of fishermen on the seashore, and you're there mending your nets, and all of a sudden a whale comes and lands on the beach, opens its mouth, and out walks a guy. <laughs> Weeds wrapped around his head. His body is white from the acid of the whale's belly. And he walks out and looks at you and says, Repent. <laughs> Do you think you wouldn't get saved? Are you going to get saved? Number one, when we exhibit thankfulness, we are walking in God's will for our life. Number two, being thankful is evidence of a Holy Spirit-filled and empowered life. Number three, thankfulness is a trigger for deliverance. And finally, number four, being thankful keeps the power of salvation working in my life. Being thankful keeps the power of salvation working in my life. When you and I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we were instantly saved. It was an instantaneous work of grace that transformed us from being lost and undone, a sinner, broken, a foreigner, a stranger, an alien, from the covenants of promise. In a moment's time when we asked Jesus to come into our heart and we believed Him that He was the Lord and He died for our sin. In a moment's time, an instantaneous transformation took place in your life in which the old man became a new man. The stony heart became a fleshly heart. 
Jesus came to live inside of you. That was instantaneous. But every moment of every day since that instantaneous thing took place in your heart, you have a flesh and a mind of will and emotions that you've got to continually work on. It didn't get instantaneously healed. It didn't get delivered. It didn't get saved. That's why you're saved in your heart, but your mind still wants to go back and think like it did before you were saved. Because it's not saved. Your heart's saved. It's eternal. It happened instantaneously. But your soul, your mind, will, and your emotion, and your flesh, you've got to work on it every single day. And I don't know about you, but there have been some days, in a lot of days in my life, that my old mind, will, and emotions, and my flesh were stronger than my saved heart. Now, it might just be me, but there's sometimes I've, my heart doesn't win the battle. My flesh wins the battle. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? And Paul said it this way, oh, wretched man that I am. The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who's going to deliver me from the stupid fleshly body that sin dwells in? And how can I get the salvation that took place instantly to work its way into my mind, my will, and emotions, my soul, and into my flesh. Because I love Jesus in my heart, but it's just all this body and my soul that keeps wanting to mess up. So how can I get this wonderful salvation to work in these other parts? Well, let me show you how it works. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Everybody still here? It's 1122. We're going to beat Northside Baptist. We're going to beat them to the restaurant. I promise you we are. Luke chapter 17, verse 12. Let me read it out of the Passion Translation. Luke 17, verse 12. As Jesus entered one village, ten men approached Him. But they kept their distance, for they were lepers. They shouted to Him, Mighty Lord, our wonderful Master, Won't you have mercy on us and heal us? Verse 14, when Jesus stopped to look at them, He spoke these words, Go to be examined by the Jewish priest. So they set off, and they were healed. They were healed while walking along the way. Sometimes healing requires an act of obedience. We love it when... Somebody prays for us and it instantly goes away. But sometimes healing requires an act of obedience. They were healed while walking along the way. One of them, a foreigner from Samaria, when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to find Jesus, shouting out joyous praises and glorifying God. When he found Jesus, he fell down in his feet and thanked him. Everybody say thanked him. He thanked him over and over saying to him, you are the Messiah. And this man was a Samaritan. Verse 17. So where are the other nine, Jesus asked? Weren't there ten who were healed? They all refused to return to give thanks and give glory to God except you, a foreigner from Samaria. Verse 19. Then Jesus said to the healed man lying at his feet, Arise and go. 
It was your faith that brought you salvation and healing. Now listen to what the... He says it brought you salvation and healing. See, the others were healed, but one got salvation and healing. See, all of them were healed. But nine of them just ran off. One was thankful. And notice he not only got healing, he got salvation also. Now, go over. Let me give you one more scripture. Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse number 16. Romans chapter 1, a very familiar passage of Scripture, verse number 16. It says this, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto what? Everybody say salvation. The gospel is the power of Christ unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and for the Greek. You say, what are you trying to point out, Pastor? I'm trying to point out this. The word for salvation here is considered the all-inclusive term of the gospel in the Greek. The word salvation literally means this. It means deliverance. It means safety. It means preservation. It means healing and soundness. So when the one leopard turned back and said, Thank you, and he offered this thanksgiving, the Lord said to him, Where are the nine? Not a one of them came, not one of the nine other than you came and thanked me. But because you thanked me, I not only healed you, I'm bringing into your life deliverance, safety, preservation, and soundness. Listen, if you're struggling in your mind, if you're struggling in your emotions, if you're struggling with your thought life, can I encourage you this morning to every day get up and just start being thankful? Expressing thanksgiving out of your mouth. Because thanksgiving enables salvation, which has happened on the inside in your heart instantaneously. Thanksgiving releases that salvation to work in every part of your life. Thanksgiving releases that. It keeps the power of salvation active in your life. You find a person that's thankful and you'll find a person full of joy. You find a person that's thankful, you'll find a person that has peace. Think about it. The people in your life that are thankful, that constantly have a good thing to say, that are not looking at the negative, but constantly looking at the positive and are so thankful for God's blessings. And you know them. You have one or two in your family. They don't make any difference what you say. They're going to find something good about everything. They're thankful. And if you look at those people, those people have joy working in every part of their life. They have peace working. They have soundness in their mind. They sleep better. They live better. Why? Because thankfulness is released and it causes the salvation of God that changed you miraculously on the inside to work in every area of your life. So Thanksgiving is not just a weekend emphasis. It's a way of life. You say, well, what do I have to be thankful for? Here's what you have to be thankful for. Be thankful for your life. Every day get up and say, thank you, Lord, I'm alive. 
Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Bible says we've been created in the very image of God. Most of us are complaining about what we are and what we have and who we are. And we talk about what we can't do and what we don't look like. We should look like this. Listen, you are what you are. You are what you are. I know everybody wants to look like me, but it's just your lot in life. You are what you are. But God created you fearfully and wonderfully. He's given you a plan that nobody else has been given. He needs you walking in your plan because He's got things for you to do that nobody else has been called to do. So every day that you have breath in your life, you thank Him. It can be taken in a moment's time. Every day get up and say, Thank you, Lord. My body might be hurting. My bones might be aching. My situation might not be the way I really want it to be, but thank you that I'm alive. And every day that I'm alive, I have an opportunity for God to work through me and in me. And number two, thank God not only for your life, but thank Him for your faith. Thank Him for your faith. Thank Him that you're saved, that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. And now death no longer scares you. And hell is no longer in the back of your mind. It's not a place you ever think about. Punishment for your wrong and your past has already been eliminated. Thank God for your life. Thank God for your faith. And every day thank Him for His Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will never pass away. The flower of the field flourishes and the grass withereth, but God's Word remains forever. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for His Word. When you come to the end of life, and when family members that you love have crossed over, can say, thank God your word gives me a hope that I'll see him again. They're waiting for me on the other side. Where would I be without the word of God? Thank God for your life. Thank God for your faith. And thank God for his word, which lives and abides forever.